Pastor John, I wasn't here myself, but Pastor John preached a great message. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to it online. It's available. He talked to you about uh, God's undivided attention that we have and God's warm and embracing affection. And then the safest place for all of us is to be surrendered to God's arms and hands. So I encourage you, if you didn't get to hear that, it'd be a good message to listen to. And if you have heard it, it would be a good message to listen to again. It's one of those kind of sermons. Um, This month, we are doing a series called Staying Positive. And uh, I think one of the reasons I wanted to do this series, I picked it, one of the reasons I wanted to do this particular series is because I honestly believe that I need it. And I think that you need it. Um, It's amazing how quickly just being around people, just dealing with stuff in life, can leave me feeling what I say to my wife sometimes, a bit blah. Any of you ever feel blah? You wake up, how are, how are you today? Eh, eh, I'm all right. I, I mean, we, we text each other. I don't even know how to text. Eh, how are you feeling? Eh, how do you text that? I, I mean, I do it, E-G-H, how do you do it? E-H, all right, I don't know. I mean, how, how do you text emotions where you're feeling kind of a little bit, not all the way, but a little bit depressed? A little bit despairing, a little bit despondent, because the truth is, don't we all feel that way sometimes? So the reason I wanted us to look at this particular series this month is because I think all of us are dealing in this world with an epidemic. In fact, I would go beyond an epidemic. I would go to a pandemic of negativity. I mean, you don't have to go very far. Just, in fact, I have committed over this season to not turn my radio on while I'm in the car. Because I am tired of the negativity, which then feeds into my own soul negativity. So I wanted us to look at negativity. And my particular theme this morning is positivity born out of true spiritual optimism. Okay? Positivity, so we're talking about the opposite of negativity is positivity. Positivity born out of true spiritual optimism. That's kind of where I want to go today. Uh, Optimism. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but people can be pretty negative around you. And they don't need a whole lot of help. I mean, it's the kind of thing where there is the glass half full or is it half empty. Uh, It's like no matter where you go, it seems like... People read the verse that David said, my cup runneth over. An optimist says, God's so good to me, he's just pouring things out in my life. A pessimist looks at that same verse, my cup runneth over, and say, why is life so messy all the time? It's just like nothing is good to them. It's all negative. Um, All over the world, people seem to almost find delight in being negative. It's almost like, If they can make your life look less than theirs in some way by being negative about you, they can make themselves feel better about their lives. It's called one-upsmanship. And that's kind of what I see in the world. And and this, not just on a political level, think about what goes on in your own head sometimes. And maybe you're not like this, maybe it's just me. But for me, there are times when I do something stupid, something really dumb, I make a mistake, and immediately in my mind, I think, 
why are you so stupid all the time? Will you never get anything right? Negativity that we feed into our own souls sometimes. Um, I went down to Bud's, uh, I know that's a shock for all of you, but I went, <laughs> I know it. I went down to Bud's and I got a cup of coffee and I was sitting at a table and a guy that I don't know well, I mean, I know him, or I see his name, I know his name, I see him around town, but I don't know him well. But he came and he asked, could I sit at your table? And I said, my office is open, please. Office hours are in fact. Um, by the end of our conversation, I took note of it because I wanted to kind of pay attention. I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said. But by the end of the conversation, he had said this. The economy is doomed. Morals are falling apart all over the world. Our school systems stink. You can't trust anybody. Churches are dying right and left. Teenagers are little terrorists. The government is spraying poison on our crops. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, and nobody's doing anything about it. That was all within about a half an hour. Now, again, he used a whole lot more words. He was a lot more specific. But that's kind of like the general headings of what he had to talk about. Now, the reality is things are rough in the world. They're hard. Things are tough sometimes. So this series isn't about pretending that nothing is wrong and let's all just smile and get along. That's not what this is about. I believe, in fact, this is kind of like my theme for the day. If you can get this, you've got the rest of the whole message, and you can kind of tune out and just pretend I'm just kind of babbling up here, okay? But my theme for today is you find what you're looking for. You find what you're looking for, okay? In other words, if you go looking for negative stuff, I think you'll find it. If you go looking for positive stuff, I think you can equally find it. In fact, the example I want to give you is the difference between a buzzard and a hummingbird. They both fly around all day looking for something. What is the buzzard looking for? Dead stuff. The hummingbird flies around at the same time, but he's looking for sweet stuff, and he finds it. My question to you this morning is, are you a buzzard or are you a hummingbird? Which is it for you? And in fact, I think the Bible even lends itself to this. Listen to this proverb. Proverbs eleven twenty seven: He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. What are you looking for in life? Are you a buzzard? Or are you a hummingbird? And for those of you that are sitting next to your spouse, don't be looking at them. Look at yourself. Which is it for you? Now, when we announced uh, our theme for this week, even in church, some of you have already decided without hearing one word of the messages that you don't like the theme. In fact, you've decided you don't even like this church anymore if they're going to talk about positivity. What is this, a positive thinking church now? You come to church on Sunday morning and whatever happened to those good old hymns? You know, you know the hymns I mean, like I'll Fly Away and I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. We do these modern choruses with guitars and drums. And Did you see the worship leader? Did you see how he was dressed? I mean, when did worship leaders start wearing jeans and sweaters and get bald? What's the church coming to?
And the sermons, don't, don't get us going on the sermons. They're too long, they're too boring. And the pastor, I don't like how he dresses. I don't like how his wife dresses him, especially over Christmas time when you've got to dress to match. I've just decided I don't like the church anymore. I just decided I want to be negative. So even in the church, there's this whole thing about negativity. And I want to suggest to you that what I am talking about today is not just feel-good psychological issues. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not suggesting by any means that I'm optimistic based upon what I feel because I don't always feel good. I don't always feel positive. I'm not optimistic just because I decide to be optimistic. I'm optimistic, I believe, based upon the truth of what God has said and who God is. That's why I'm optimistic. And that's what I want us to look at really quickly today. Uh, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8, if you would. If you have Bibles, turn to Romans 8. I like to see people with Bibles once in a while in their hands. It's a good thing. I know I'm going to put it up on the screen in front of you, but if you don't have a Bible, there's actually some on the chairs in front of you, I think. Romans chapter 8. I want to give you eight reasons Eight reasons why you as a Christian have a reason to be optimistic. Romans chapter 8, eight reasons. There's a lot more reasons in Romans chapter 8, but because it's Romans 8, I thought 8 would be a good number. But because it's 8 and that's a lot, I'm going to have to give this somewhat machine gun style. So you're going to have to take notes. And you're going to have to meditate and think about these on your own. Okay, so Romans chapter 8, I'm going to give you eight quick reasons why you have to be optimistic as a Christian, as a person who is a lover of Jesus. All right, number one. The first one is your sins are forgiven. Okay, let me, let me just say that again because I don't think you heard it. Number one, the reason you have to be optimistic is your sins are forgiven. All right, you guys are putrid today. Putrid. What is wrong with you? Your sins are forgiven and you are eternally accepted by God. That's good news. You go around in a funk sometimes feeling bad about stuff, but you're loved by the eternal God. He looked at everything in your life. He paid the price in His Son, Jesus Christ. Your sins are for every sin you have ever committed or could ever commit are forgiven by God. That's good news. Don't start it with, you're a sinner. Start it with, you're a saint who has been saved by God. That's good news. That's why you should be optimistic. He puts it this way in Romans 8. There is therefore now no, say no, Say it louder. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. Nobody can judge you anymore because God in Christ has already judged. He judged him in your place. He took all of your sins, every sin you've ever even thought of, he placed it upon Christ. And he took all of Christ's righteousness and he placed it upon you. Do you know that God loves you every bit as much as he loves Jesus? Did you know that? That is good. How many times do I got to say this? That's good news. That's reason to be optimistic. In fact, the truth is your salvation has never been about your performance. It's always been about your position. Because you're in 
Christ. That's what he goes on to say here in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. Say no condemnation. To those who are where? In Christ Jesus. That's good news to you. That's a good reason to be optimistic. Okay, I got to stop. I'm taking too long. Number two, Jesus advocates for you. It says in Romans 8, 34, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Christ advocates. He defends you. He stands up for you. Another way of saying it is Christ has your back. He's for you. We say he's making intercession. Intercession. What is intercession? We think of intercession, we think of the word prayer. But when we think about Jesus making intercession, my question is, who is he praying to since he's God? I don't think he's praying at all. I think a better way of saying that is, Jesus in his person is constantly, by virtue of being the Son of Man and the Son of God, is reminding heaven itself of all of those who belong to him. So that his very person, it, it's kind of like, I think a better way of saying this would be, Jesus loves to brag on you. I don't know if you know it or not. Maybe you've never heard this before. If you haven't, I, 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 I apologize. Oh, Izzy. Poor little baby. Um, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but I have nine grandchildren. Did you know that? I have nine of the brightest, cutest, most amazing, I mean, they are grandchildren bar none in all of the universe. Without contest, I can say that. No one could argue it. They're the best. Everywhere I go, it just, I don't even try. It just slips out. I have not, I was, last week, I was in a place down by Poughkeepsie, uh, in a church that was having some struggles, but we had the joy of installing a new pastor. And in the brief slot of time that I had, it just I, it slipped out. I have nine grandchildren, and they're the best. Well, in the same way that I love and I brag about my grandchildren, I think Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he brags about you. Now, I think the way it happens, though, is this. Because the truth is, if you're honest, in yourself, you're not all that much. In yourself, you fall sometimes. You fail. You struggle. But I think when Jesus looks at you, I mean, I mean, Jesus could be looking at Cindy. And maybe, maybe this morning she got up and wasn't in a good mood. And uh, she went to make herself some breakfast. And it all burned. And she, she didn't mean to, but out of her mouth slipped a word that maybe shouldn't have slipped out. I don't know. Can't believe she would ever do that. But I'm just thinking just kind of out there, you know, way out there. So she lets a word come out of her mouth that wasn't right. And then she immediately, she feels bad about it. She goes, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm, my life is better than that. I, I am, that's not who I am anymore. I am your daughter. I am your child. In heaven, on the other side of the screen, behind the curtain, the great eyes of the universe sits upon his throne, and he looks over at his dad, and he says, did you see that? Did you see that, Dad? She failed, but oh, she's trying so hard. Don't you love that she loves us so much that she tries hard? He's not worried by your failures. He loves it that you still get up 
and keep walking with Him. That's all it takes. Keep walking towards Him. That's what Pastor John said last week. Surrendering into His arms. Surrendering to His care. That's what this is about. I think God brags on His children. I think He loves you so much that every time, it doesn't matter whether you fail or you did great today, He just he looks at you and He thinks you are the best. When it says He makes intercession for us, I think it literally means God is pulling for you. There's never a point in time when the way I was raised, the way I was made to think when I was a kid growing up, is that God was in heaven just waiting for me to blow it so that He could send me to hell. I can remember sermon after sermon in our church, which I love our Baptist church. It taught me the Word of God. But I can remember sermon after sermon, the pastor would end it and say it this way. If any of you have sinned this week, and today you have not asked Jesus for forgiveness, if Jesus were to come back right this second, you would go to hell. And I want to say to you, that's horrid. Please forgive me. I love my pastor dearly. But that is horrid theology. God paid for your sin already. If it is you having to ask forgiveness in order to get there, that's a work of performance. That's an act. That's something you do to earn it. When the truth is, forgiveness comes freely because he loves you. He's for you. That doesn't mean we don't ask forgiveness. That's not what I mean. But it's not the contingent issue in our lives. God already knew ahead of time every sin you would ever commit. And he is 110% for you. Number three, I got to keep moving quicker so we won't get through. Number three, I am optimistic because there's glory in me. There's glory in you. That's what he says. He says, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It says, shall be revealed in us. In other words, it's already in there, but he's waiting for the day when it will be revealed to the world. You have glory inside of you. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said in John 17, Father, the same glory you gave to me that we share together, that we could be one, that same glory I've given to them. You bear the glory of God inside of you. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. In fact, I want you to think about this. I mean, he, he's just an amazing man with great insight. Um, he said this, you have never met a mere mortal. Let me say it again. You have never met a mere mortal. You know, we think of it as, oh yeah, it's just another guy I met on the street. No, 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 no. The glory of God dwells in them because you are image bearers of Christ. Every single one of you, you bear glory. Jackie, you got glory in you whether you know it or not. Lord, you got glory in you. You've got glory in you, John. You've got glory inside of you. And what he's saying is the stuff we go through in this life, as hard as it is. How many of you have had a hard 2018? Can I raise both hands? I'd raise both feet if I could. It's been hard. It's been I've thought to myself sometimes, and then I take it back, but I've thought to myself, it's been the year from hell. But it hasn't been, not really. Because in the midst of it, I have seen God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his faithfulness. That's kind of what he's saying. He says, we go through stuff. All of us go through stuff. But that's as nothing. Now, that doesn't mean I'm minimizing what you've gone through or what I've gone through. It's real and it's hard. 
But that is still, in the scope of eternity, nothing compared to the glory that already dwells in you. That we're waiting. In fact, the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the very earth itself, creation groans, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. What's that mean? That's not some special breed of man. That's not like the Aryan race. What he's talking about is when the glory that's in you becomes apparent to everybody around you. That's what we're waiting on. So you've got glory in you. The glory that's in you is greater than your present pain, your present struggles, your present sufferings. That's something to be grateful for, that God has put his glory inside of you. Number four, I'm optimistic because I have the peace of God. I have the peace of God. That's what he says in Romans 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And you guys know what I mean, because you've been through stuff. I look around this room, and I know some of your lives pretty well. You have been through stuff. Some of you have been through loss, deep loss of a loved one, whether through death or through divorce or through family breakup, your children, you have experienced deep loss. Some of you have experienced loss in your finances. You've gone through bankruptcy. You've been there and back. You've been through some really, really hard stuff. And your friends look at you, and they say, Man, I don't know how you do it. How do you keep going every day? How do you put one foot in front of the other? And your testimony is, life is hard, but I keep my eyes on Jesus, and I let his peace rule in my heart. That's, you have a choice, by the way. You have a choice. Every morning you wake up, you have a choice. Do you want to be in a good mood today, or do you want to be in a bad mood? Do you want his peace in your heart, or do you want to have uproar and turmoil? What would you prefer? You have that choice. That's why he said to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I have the peace of God. And so do you if you want it. You can have the peace of God reigning in your heart no matter what you're going through or the circumstances that you're in. People can be upset. People can be sniping at each other. But you have the peace of God which passes all human comprehension and understanding. Number five, I am optimistic because God is for me, so therefore, who can be against me? That's what he says in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you might say, well, that point is very similar to point number one. And it's very similar to point number two. And you'd be right. I just thought you needed to be reminded. If God is for you, who ultimately can be against you? I'm not saying people can't be against you. I'm not saying people can't write things about you in Facebook that you don't like or agree with. I, I read Facebook. Uh, I, I post very little, but I read. I, I, I stalk people just to see what's going on in their lives. So I look at it, and sometimes I'm looking at it and thinking, uh-oh, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes that they just wrote that, because you know it's for a reason. They're taking a, a shot at somebody. People can do things like that, whether in Facebook or in Instagram or in the paper. It can happen all over the place. But here's my point. It doesn't matter in this world who might be against you. Ultimately, if the God of the universe is for you, what does it matter what they think? It's kind of like if I'm the boss's son, I don't care what the rest of the employees think about me. I only care what the boss thinks about me. And I'm his son. If God is for you, 
Who can be against you? What God knows about me, hear me, what God knows about me is more important than what they think about me. And God knows whose I am because he's got Jesus at his right hand reminding him, Dad, that's one of your sons. Dad, that's one of your daughters. That's a good reason to be optimistic, to be positive about life. God is for you. There is nothing that you can do that could make God love you one iota less or more because he is love incarnate. He loves you with all that God is. Next, number six, I'm optimistic because God's spirit helps me in my weakness. God helps me. Romans 8, 24 says this, for in this hope, a hope, we have a hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he's talking about a patient wait for a hope that you have in mind. Then he goes on, verse 26. In the same way that you held on to hope, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, he's saying, it's not you holding on to God, it's God holding on to you. That's what he says in John. John's Gospel says, who can pluck you out of his hand? And the answer is no one, because God's holding you. God helps us in our weakness. In the same tenacity, that you hold on to the salvation truth of God, in that same tenacity, hold on to the fact that when you're going through stuff, God is right there with you, helping you. He's helping you through it. So when we're down, the Holy Spirit lifts us up. When we're hurting, we believe and hold on to the truth that God is our comforter, our helper in a time of need. When we feel alone, God is our near friend. Closer, he says, than a brother. When we are weak, the Holy Spirit is our strength. Paul tells us in uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, wait a minute. When I am weak, then I am strong? That doesn't make sense. You've got to read the rest of it. Because he says, when I am weak, his strength, his strength is made manifest in me. Because in my weakness, in my struggles, I turn to God and I say, God, I desperately need your help. He comes and all of a sudden I realize God has been there the whole time helping me. He's helped me through this stuff. Number seven. I'm optimistic because God is working everything in my life for good. He works all things together for good, according to Romans 8, 28. All things, everything, all the good things, all the bad things, all the mediocre things, all of the things you glad happened, all the things you wish never happened, even the things that are driving you crazy right now. God takes all of those things and he works them for good in your life. Now, Let's just be honest for a minute. How many of you have ever done something in your past that you wondered if you would ever be able to get beyond it, get over it? You'd be able to actually even forgive yourself for it. How many of you have ever done that? You've done stuff that's like, oh man. How many of you look back at that stuff now and you see God's grace even in that? That that thing that you thought would be your gravestone actually becomes a, mis- a memorial stone of God's mercy and His grace to you. Even the stuff that you look back at and you say, I blew it so bad, I can't believe I could ever have done that. Even there, God's mercy is so great, you look back and you say, I, I don't, I'm not glad that happened, but I'm grateful that even though it happened, I met with God in it. I found something about God that I didn't even know about because of that. It becomes a marker of God's grace. Um, number eight, real quick. 
taking too long. I'm sorry, but I wanted you to get these. I'm optimistic because nothing can separate me from the love of God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul says. Nothing can separate you from God's love. It doesn't matter whether you begin to lose your faculties. I think often about my mother-in-law. She's at a stage in life where it's hard for her to remember things. Uh, she, she doesn't keep track uh, on a regular basis with what we would consider to be reality. But that's not what holds her. It's not her mind that holds her in the heart of God. It is His love that holds her. He loves her. That's what it says. We love Him because He first loved us. That's what holds her. Not whether or not she can remember God's name. It's that He remembers her name. He gave her a name that no one knows. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. God gave her a name that not even the enemy knows. But he calls her by that name. We have reason to be optimistic because nothing, nothing in this world can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you're frustrated with life right now and it hasn't gone the way you wanted or expected or planned. And there's a huge part of you that would almost want to just cave into the negativity. You just want to kind of collapse under it, be overwhelmed by it, just let it go, who cares? I'll just stay in bed for the rest of my life. There's a part of you that feels that way. And you have the right to choose that. Or you have the right to look back at all of the things that God has said and done that are truer than even what you're going through. And you can say, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to my hope in God. So, my A points are, I'm optimistic because my sins are forgiven. I'm optimistic because Jesus sits at the right hand of God encouraging me, advocating for me. I'm optimistic because my current struggles are producing greater glory in me. I'm optimistic because my life is governed by the peace of God. I'm optimistic because God is for me. I'm optimistic because God's Spirit helps me in my weakness. Number seven, I'm optimistic because God is working all things for my good. And number eight, I'm optimistic because nothing can separate me from the love of God. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity out there. But we can be optimistic even in its face because our hope is in Him, not in those things. My hope, please hear me, I think we should pray for our president. I think we should pray for our senators. I think we should pray for our congressmen on both a federal and a state level. I think we should, but that's not where my hope is. My hope is not there. The world might be going to hell in a handbasket, but I'm not going to hell in a handbasket, I mean, because my hope is in him. The world might not be all that I would want. You could argue about the caravan until you're blue in the face, and there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't even think about. But in the end, my hope isn't in a solution to that. My hope is in God. His salvation is perfect. So my question to you is, when everyone around you is acting like a buzzard, how are you going to act? How are you going to think? How are you going to choose to walk? Are you going to be a buzzard looking for all the dead, negative things around you? Or are you going to be a, a hummingbird looking for the sweetness of the goodness of God? How are you going to be? Would you stand with me?